This is Communio Sanctorum, the history of the Christian Church, Season 2. This is Episode 5 in the ongoing saga of Raban Sama. We left Marcos and Barsama headed to Tabriz, the Mongol Ilkhan's capital in Persia. Now, by way of recap, Ilkhan means underkhan. The Mongol realms of the late 13th century were fractured and divided up into warring camps. The Ilkhans of Persia owed allegiance to the great Khan, Kublai, whose capital in China would eventually be known as Beijing. Lying between the Ilkhanate in Persia and the realm of Kublai was a Central Asian breakaway region ruled by Kublai's estranged cousin, Kaidu, and that was called the Shagadai Khanate. To the north of the Ilkhans in Persia, over a much-contested border, was the Mongol Golden Horde, also known as the Kipchak Khanate. The Ilkhans had moved their capital from Maraga to Tabriz to keep a large force near that contentious border with the Horde. It was the plateau of Azerbaijan, with its rich pastures that was contested. The Mongol mounts that had made their conquests possible needed those pastures, which became increasingly rare the further west they drove and conquered. Though Tabriz would eventually grow into a major center of trade, when Sama and Marcos arrived, it was already thriving, with European merchants well-established in the city. Its religious mix included both a Dominican and two Franciscan monasteries. The churches of Tabriz represented quite a mix. There were Byzantine, Armenian, Georgian, Nestorian, and Jacobite congregations. During times of doctrinal de-emphasis, the Jacobite and Nestorian churches often lined up and shared a patriarch. Then, when doctrinal nuances regarding the person of Christ returned to the fore, the groups would split apart once more. But it wasn't just the Christians that were represented by different groups in Tabriz. It was also a meeting place of various Muslim groups and sects. Because of the famed Mongol policy of religious tolerance, all these various groups lived side by side in a mostly amiable relationship. Combined with a rich east-west trade network, it all made Tabriz a genuinely cosmopolitan city and served as a fit setting for the two monks to meet the Mongol Ilkhan Abaka. Presented with credentials from both the great Khan Kubala and the Nestorian Patriarch, Abaka demonstrated his quick apprehension of the gravity of his visitor's journey by immediately granting their request to endorse Mardena's appointment as the Catholicus. He then gave his officials strict orders to assist Barsama and Marcos on the last leg of their journey to Jerusalem. With little delay, the two commenced their journey west to the city of Ani on the Araxis River in Armenia. Ani was known as the city of a thousand and one churches. The Ani Cathedral was designed by the same 10th century architect who had redesigned Constantinople's Hagia Sophia. Leaving Ani and its gorgeously designed and decorated churches, they headed toward the Black Sea where they hoped to catch a ship headed to the Palestinian coast. But the report of robbers, the Golden Horde, and their Mamluk allies who controlled Palestine combined to convince the monks that the way forward was now closed. By late 1280, they were back in Maraga, the previous capital of the Ilkhanate and home to the recently confirmed Nestorian Catholicus, Mardena. He was pleased at their return. Their presence afforded him more opportunity to work his schemes. He agreed with the assessment of their Armenian hosts that the way to Jerusalem was closed, insinuating that this is what he had tried to tell them previously, when he had done no such thing. 
he suggested that they instead defer their desire to visit the holy relics of the Holy Land to the several relics that he oversaw. Thinking to accrue to himself some of the august spiritual mojo surrounding these two Eastern visitors, Mardena promoted Marcos to a rabban, that is a master, and declared his intent to install him as the metropolitan of all East Asia. Sama was also promoted to the rank of a rabban and made visitor general in China, a kind of papal ambassador, except for the Nestorian patriarch rather than the Pope in Rome. By these appointments, which due to Marcos's and Sama's popularity were sure to pass, Mardena hoped to secure his grip over Nestorian affairs far and wide. He'd be installing one of his own as bishop over the vast area of East Asia in Marcos's see, and would have a voice and ear in the councils of the great Khan Kubala. A little background on the power and scope of the Nestorian Catholicus's authority would probably be helpful here. The Catholicus of the Nestorian Church, also known as the Church of the East, was equivalent to the Byzantine Patriarch and Roman Pope in terms of authority as the sole head over his church. The Catholicus bore both spiritual and secular power. Besides steering the Nestorian ship, he was responsible for overseeing the purity of doctrine and appointing all other church officials. He weighed in on secular matters as well, giving guidance and counsel to the civil ruler as the overseer of a large number of the ruler's subjects. Mardena had risen to power as Catholicus more by political machination than spiritual devotion. He elevated Marcos and Sama because his previous movements in China had been disastrous, and he hoped to recoup his losses. The previous metropolitan that he'd appointed had promptly denounced him as a fraud. So Dena revoked his appointment and had him sequestered in an out-of-the-way monastery from which he escaped. Recaptured and returned, he and four of his supporters were soon found dead in their cells. The ensuing scandal threatened to see the Nestorian church blacklisted in the Far East. Dena hoped that the elevation and appointment of the now famous Chinese monks would return his patriarchy to favor in the court of the great Khan. Abraham Lincoln once said, Nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. The newly minted Rabans, Sama and Marcos, were offered immense power and influence. They left home humble monks. They could return as genuine movers and shakers, men without local peer. But they chose a different route. If they'd had any doubts of Mardena's motives before, <laughs> they saw clearly now. His power had indeed outed him. So they treated him carefully. They flattered him by saying that, as the head of their church, well, his words were equivalent to Jesus' own. Then they pointed back, reminding him of the long and arduous journey they'd recently completed. It was too soon to return home. They begged off the appointments that he offered, listing their lack of training in leading the church. They were, after all, humble monks, devoted to a life of study and prayer. If it pleased the August Catholicus, they'd prefer to retire to a quiet monastery and spend their days there. Mardena didn't buy it, not even close. His mind was made up. He made it clear that he considered their objections unworthy of the faith that he'd entrusted in them. How dare they, humble monks as they claim to be, doubt his perception of their ability. So Rabans, Sama, and Marcos were forced to yield and began preparations for their return to China. 
and it was right then that tensions between Kubala and Kaidu heated up once again. Word got back to Moraga from merchants making the trip from the east to west that fresh hostilities had broken out and the routes through Central Asia were now closed. Anticipating their quick reopening, Mardena pressed forward with the ceremonies attendant on the elevation of Marcos and Sama to their new posts. These ceremonies were elaborate. In Marcos's case, as a metropolitan, he was given a new name, one reflecting the Syrian origin of the Nestorian faith. Several slips of paper with appropriate names were laid on the altar of the main church there in Moraga, and then one was picked at random. It carried the moniker Yabalaha, meaning God-given. To that was added the revered title Mar, meaning your. Thus, Marcos became Mar Yabalaha. When the routes eastward failed to open as quickly as Mardena had hoped, and having them hanging around his estate became awkward, he granted their request to head back to the monastery at Mar Michael, where they'd wanted to go all along. February of 1281 proved an eventful month. Mardena died unexpectedly. It was later reported that in the few months prior to his death, several church officials had premonitions that a major change was coming to their church. Marcos was one of them. He made a trip to Baghdad to secure some items appropriate to his new role as metropolitan. It was a pastoral robe and a crozier, a crozier referring to that shepherd's staff that's the symbol of being a pastor. On his way back to the monastery at Mar Michael, a friend brought him the news of the Catholicus's death. Marcos then went to Moraga, where he wept profusely for several days over the body. The day after Dennis' entombment, church leaders met in Baghdad to select a new leader. The discussions didn't take very long. They asked Mar Yabalaha to become their new Catholicus. He seemed the perfect choice. His devotion to both God and church were exemplary. His motives had been proven true. Knowing the Mongol tongue and customs, well, he'd be the perfect bridge between their church and rulers. He was astonished at their selection and resisted. He didn't know Syriac, the main language of the Nestorian faith. He wasn't a skilled public speaker. He wasn't schooled in the nuances of Nestorian doctrine. He assumed surely these disqualified him. But all his resistance did was further affirm him in the official's mind that his humility commended him as the perfect candidate. With Mardena's megalomaniacal tenure fresh in their minds, Marcus's humility was a refreshing change that only served to secure his appointment. Realizing they weren't going to take no for an answer, Marcos, or we must now call him Mar Yabalaha, finally consented. His first thought was, I got to tell my buddy. So he hightailed it back to the monastery and informed Raban Sama. Sama was elated and urged the new Catholicus to immediately secure the Ilkhan Abaka's affirmation. The two returned to Moraga, where they gathered a retinue of church officials and headed to Tabriz. Abaka was ensconced in the nearby mountain retreat, where he liked to spend the summer. The Ilkhan was more than happy to replace the Islamophobic Mardena with a patriarch who held no special animosity toward Muslims. It helped to have someone connected to the great Khan back east as well. In affirming Imar Yabala as the new Catholicus, he mused that Sama and Marcos's journey to Jerusalem had been arrested not by the Mamluks, but by God himself, to ensure that his church would be provided with solid leadership in the challenging times that surely lay ahead. Abaka wanted to make sure that his approval of Mar Yabalaha was clear 
and so he gave him a robe fitting of his office, a chair that resembled a throne, a large sun umbrella that functioned like a canopy, the same kind that had been used by the royal family. And he gave him a new comprehensive letter patent made out of solid gold. And finally, the official conference of the great seal marking the authority of the Nestorian Catholicus. It was that seal that Mardena had waited many years to secure from the Ilkhan, the very same seal that Sama and Marcos had returned to him. Abaka now gave it confidently to Mar Yabalaha. From then on, Mar Yabalaha's commands carried the weight of law for the Nestorian community. As a final signifier of his approval, Abaka had his administrators designate substantial funds to pay for the ceremonies that would install Marcos into his new office. The group then headed back to Baghdad, and Mar Yabalaha was installed as the new Catholicus in November of 1281. Metropolitans, that is, Nestorian bishops, traveled from as far as western Armenia, Samarkand, and Tripoli to attend the event. So at the age of only 36, Marcos of China, a humble teenager who aspired to little more than the life of a monk in the Fang Mountains of his homeland, had risen to become the leader of his entire denomination. And not just a denomination, but one of the three major branches of the Christian faith, the Nestorian Church of the East. It's quite a story. Hey, it's just getting started. For his mentor's tale has much farther to go. Everything till now has been but the preface to Raban Sama's epic. So join us next time for part six. Mm -hmm.